0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: I look forward to leading a government that makes Australians proud. This election didn't just change a government, it was a green slide. Safe Liberal seat, two term incumbent, independence. We need to go back to our values, our principles, look closely at what has happened. Our policies
0: will be squarely aimed at the forgotten Australians in the suburbs across regional Australia.
1: Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvelis, the host of RM Breakfast, joining you from Gadigal land on the Eora Nation. And I'm David Spears, joining you from Ngunnawal country. you're the host of Insiders, David. I am. While Fred is away, (laughs) you're joining me as both co-host and guest today because, well, you can do it all. I have collapsed you into a mega department. Well, it's always good to be back with you, PK. It's going to be quite a party, I'm sure. Now, look, there's only really one well, there's a few, come on, but one huge story that's dominated the political news cycle this week, and that was the Albanese government's announcement that they will officially increase the tax rate on earnings on superannuation accounts that hold more than $3 million. So increasing that tax rate, you've heard it probably in the news, but just reminding you of from 15% to 30% for that particular group. And the government says it's a small cohort, around 80,000 people. For everyone else, it's all good. Nothing else changes. So it's just this group. Now, it comes into effect in 2025, after the next election. Here's Jim Chalmers discussing the changes. We have deliberately said uh, that we will take this to the people. Uh, This uh, policy doesn't start until after the election. It leaves 99.5% of people uh, completely unaffected. And it means there are still generous tax concessions uh, for everybody in the system, but slightly less generous for half of 1% of people who have more than $3 million in their super account. (laughs) 99.5%, that figure. Uh, So that was the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, speaking to 7.30. David. There's a few caveats though in the way the government is sort of building this policy essentially to inoculate themselves protect themselves from criticism right yeah to de-risk the politics here look this this is a
0: significant moment i reckon uh, what labor's done this week because it's the first time in nearly 4 years They've taken a chance, taken a risk on tax, right? That's what makes this significant. It's been nursing the bruises of the 2019 election loss for all of that time, unwilling to go near anything that could inflict even mild pain on anyone. So this move on super, while far more modest than anything Bill Shorten took to that 2019 election, it is significant for that reason. It's the first time they're willing to take on a little bit of risk here, small risk, but some risk. To de-risk this, they're doing, well, Three things, really. First, targeting, as you say, the very top, that 99.5% won't be affected, only the half a percent will those with $3 million or more in their superannuation. And just to break that down, for the first $3 million, you still get the normal 15% discounted rate. Above that, you'll still get a discounted rate, but it's a 30% tax rate on the earnings. So, if you tease that out, say you had five million bucks in super, right? Mm, Lucky you, good, good, good on you. Right? Your earnings um, on that five million dollars in a normal year, where you get a seven percent annual return in your super, would be about three hundred and fifty grand. Great. Mm. Um, the extra tax we're talking about here only applies on the earnings on that that two million dollars. that's above the the, the three million dollar thresh threshold. So, on my calculations, you'd, you'd basically get. An extra $21,000 in tax, it, it, that's if you've got a $5 million account. It's not going to send those multi-millionaires uh, to the poorhouse. Um, look, worth pointing out that $3 million threshold, although it's not indexed. So over time, it will catch more and more people. And that'll be something for future governments to worry about. The second thing they've done to de-risk this is announce it early, early in their term. We're still in the first year of the Albanese government. So this will be largely forgotten, I reckon, by most people come the next election. And it's done this before the budget. So hoping that this will be perhaps even forgotten by many come the May budget as well. And then third, as you mentioned, pushing the start date back to mid 2025. Now that's that's done in part to address the broken promise issue here because Anthony Albanese did say he had no intention of touching super and he is now doing that. Uh, he wants to legislate it in this parliament while he's got a favourable Senate but the change won't take effect until after the next election. So he's, he's saying, look, voters can boot us out if they're so aggrieved by this and that's aimed at goading the Liberals into pledging to repeal the tax change which Peter Dutton promptly did. We're absolutely dead against it. Uh, and we will repeal it. Uh, we're not going to stand by and watch Australians attacked. The the message that it sends otherwise uh, to a lot of other Australians who are next in line when the Labor Party needs more and more money, those people know that they're next on the hit list.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting um, position from the Liberals, right? So, David, clearly what they're counting on here is the broken promise narrative. The broken promise narrative is what they're zeroing in on and they figure uh, there are so many moments where Anthony Albanese was asked all these questions um, and, you know, he, he ruled out changes to superannuation and that they can really frame this as a broken promise. Peter Dutton, I reckon, is taking his own political risk with this. Sure... Mm. Uh, he, wants to t- he wants to make people think, well, if they're starting here, where are they going to go next, right? And I mm-hmm. think on that there is some fertile ground for him politically. But at the end of the day, you remember that moment. I think we've even got the grab at the beginning of the Party Room podcast where he says he wants to be about the forgotten people, the, you know, yeah. the, the battlers, the people in the suburbs, well, right? it was only a
0: few weeks ago, Pico, he was telling the Party Room he wants the Liberals to be the party of the working class, Mm. Well, the working class and the multimillionaires, it would seem.
1: Yeah, and this is the thing. I mean, is the opposition to this I kind of put to you all just about politics? Then is it squarely about politics, or is there more to is there is there sort of economic uh, justification for what Peter Dutton's trying to argue?
0: I, I suspect it's largely politics, but you know, there's also some ideology here that superannuation. Um, you know, taxes on the on the wealthy should be as, as low as they can be. I think that's pretty consistent with the the Liberal Party view. That, you know, rewind before the Turnbull Morrison years, it was Howard and Costello who really turbocharged the generosity of the Keating superannuation system uh, for those at the very top. Uh, you know, with the tax-free um, retirement uh, stream and, and these generous tax treatments in the earnings phase and all of that. Look, uh, but the politics clearly are, um, are key here for Peter Dutton because you're right, he's trying to do a couple of things. Not so much focus uh, on those multi-millionaires losing a few bucks, but trying to roll this into the broader point about Labor breaking promises. They're citing the promise on electricity bills. Uh, which Labor told us would fall, and and so on. Trying to build this broader message, you can't trust this government. And that's what any opposition will try to do, and this gives them that opportunity to keep building that case. And look, if they can put together three, four, five potent points where they can point to broken promises, that will become a bit of a problem for Anthony Albanese, or a big problem for Anthony Albanese. So that's what this is about, building that case, and this will be the strategy over the the course of this term. The the other point is they're pointing to the, the tax expenditure statement that was released. By the government this week and calling it a labour hit list, all these other tax concessions will be next. In uh, in other words, and that's where the government's had some difficulty this week. I think trying to um, to respond to that.
1: Ooh, has it ever? Okay, so let's just tell. <laughs> let's go there. Let's go there, okay? Because this got a bit interesting this week. So essentially, yes, that that big tax statement which the treasurer should says, explain what that is. Yeah. Can you explain it?
0: Well, it's it's <laughs> it's required under the Charter of Budget Honesty to, to it basically is a list that clocks up what uh, all of these tax concessions, from um, you know the fact that when you sell your home you don't pay capital gains tax to uh, you know, negative gearing to uh, all these superannuation tax breaks and so on and so on. So what they're all costing and what they're all costing over the years to come, and some of them get to eye popping uh, levels, uh, making the point that yeah, all of these things do come at a cost to the budget.
1: So they release that you're right, what what it costs to the budget, and of course it's got lots of other things in it too, right? So they just want to announce their super change. There's Mm. one change only that they want to focus on, but lots of other questions are asked about what other plans the government might Mm. have on capital gains tax and negative gearing. All, I think, reasonable questions about sort of taxation reform more broadly. Mm. Just on that,
0: PK, I mean, do you think it was a smart idea um, because the, the reason the Treasurer made and the Prime Minister made this superannuation announcement alongside the release of that statement this week, they did on the same day, was to give some factual basis to what they were doing to show, look, superannuation is going to be costing us too much. It's unsustainable, these tax breaks. That's why we're doing this. That was the point of putting them together. Mm. But the downside was clearly you're highlighting all these other areas and opening up all these other questions. If you're doing the thing on super, why aren't you doing the thing on negative gearing? Why aren't you doing anything about capital gains tax? All these other things. So I don't know. Was it a a wise move doing it all in one go? Well, well,
1: it clearly wasn't because it didn't work, right? (laughs) And so the evidence is that it didn't work. Now, people might, and I think it's worth uh, reflecting on that, not like that the media ask those questions. But sometimes, and I think the government knows this, you have to live in the political reality you live in rather mm. than your fantasy reality. And so I think, with the benefit of hindsight, even some of them would concede that just making the announcement on superannuation, we already knew that what the general concessions were on superannuation, on its own and then explaining it. It's a simple policy, and I think a lot of people would find it appealing too, um, and then, if you want to make the broader uh, announcement separating the two so that it wouldn't be conflated, that would have worked better for them, I think. But, you know, this is the way it worked out. And as a result, the treasurer did a series of interviews and the treasurer is trying to do this thing at the moment. He's been doing it for some time where he's trying to rewrite the script yeah. of in and out when we're asking questions. But he got himself into a little bit of, well, he got stuck where he didn't want to Rule out, again, something that was put to him from David Kosh about capital gains on the family home. What's next? Can you guarantee no change ever
0: to the capital gains tax exemption on the family home? We haven't been
1: contemplating changes uh, to that one that you identified, uh, but we have... Not contemplating. The, in... OK, that's sort of a weasel word. Now, David, he even conceded he didn't handle that very well, Right. Yeah, he did. So there's a bit to unpack here. The, the line of
0: questioning the Treasurer uh, copped uh, on Sunrise from David Kosh, uh, on The Today Show from Carl Stefanovic, because he did the rounds. Uh, of, of the, the the breakfast TV uh, shows and so on. Maybe that tells us that there wasn't enough uh, of a problem with the superannuation yeah. change, that all of these questions went to other things. You know, it is such a modest change, really, at the top for the superannuation tax breaks. Suddenly the attention was on, okay, what, what about what about this or that? And particularly that capital gains tax question. I mean, this has been... This has been sacrosanct in Australian politics for a long, long time. You don't put capital gains tax on the family home. And, look, the Treasurer probably should have seen this one coming and, and thought a, a bit, bit more about how better to answer that than to leave it leave it ajar with his lines about, well, we have no mm. intention. We have, we're have we not contemplating. Mm. Of course, intention was the word Anthony Albanese used about superannuation, and lo and behold, this week they've, they've done it. So the intention word from the Treasurer automatically triggered more questions about, yep. well, hang on... Um, uh, that's not a no. And then um, and then the Prime Minister, 20 minutes later, talking to you, PK, uh, when you asked him whether he could rule it out, absolutely did so. Uh, full stop, exclamation mark, um, unequivocal rule out uh, from the Prime Minister on uh, taxing the family home.
1: We will not be uh, making any changes there.
0: Now, I do think, you know, politicians should expect um, to to be asked pretty direct questions about what they're going to do or what they're not going to do. And and particularly in an election context, that's uh, that's part and parcel of our democracy, asking politicians what their plans are for office if they want to, you know, govern the country. But do some of these questions, I'm not saying your question or this question around capital gains tax fits in this mold, but do some of the questions get ridiculous and try to, you know, box in uh, a treasurer or a prime minister to be unable to do anything on tax or spending? Yeah, they do. Uh, they need some flexibility. But how you manage this, it's its really not simple. There's no easy sort of, well, journalists should just stop asking direct questions. Politicians should have carte blanche to do, you know, break promises, change their minds. It's, it's not simple. Uh, this is not an easy fix.
1: No, it's not. But we all should reflect uh, about the framing of questions. In the case of the Anthony Albanese um, interview, A few people thought he he rushed to come on Radio National to clean up the treasurer's mess. Uh, That's how people framed it to me. It was a pre-organised interview. Uh, Of course, you would expect journalists like me and David to be trying to get interviews with the Prime Minister. Mm. Predetermined interview, honoured the interview, and then this had happened, and of course I had to ask.
0: You were flagging the interview uh, as I was listening to your your program in the six o'clock hour, well before Jim Chalmers had, uh, had made any sort of remarks about capital gains tax on television. Just, just to back up what you're saying yeah. there, this was not. Very much. He, he didn't just jump on the radio but to then, clean it up. But then but he, he did clean it up in the he interview.
1: Did. He did, yeah. and because he, you know, he could see the thing about Anthony Albanese. It's worth reflecting on. This is a man who knows politics. He's We're recording this on a Thursday. It's his 60th birthday. He's been in Parliament for ages. It's Jim Chalmers' 45th birthday. They share a birthday, which I think is really interesting, but just like a random fact for you. He's been in politics not as long, but he's also been around the traps for a while. The Prime Minister could see this coming like a freight train. Like, oh, my goodness. If you think that you're going to be taxed on your home... You're going to be grumpy. So the Prime Minister <laughs> shut that down. Yeah, he did.
0: I think we've, we've got it here, in fact, uh, an emphatic uh, answer from Anthony Albanese.
1: We are not. We are not going to impact uh, the family home. Why not? Full stop, exclamation mark. Uh, because we're not going to. Because it's a bad Question. idea.
0: It's a bad idea. Now, look, you know, that that was very clear. The Treasurer then a couple of hours later, as, as he held a press conference on the national accounts, which we'll get to in a tick, um, uh, acknowledged that he could have handled his answers on this better, backed in what the Prime Minister said, they're not touching the family home. So that inevitably then raises questions, well, what about the next thing, negative gearing? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're going to rule that out forever and a day. And, and um, it, that, that's where, in my view at least, governments need to think of a, a way of answering this. Uh, it's never going to be perfect, uh, you know, the, the, no intention, no plans. Yes, it leaves some wiggle room, but you know, perhaps that is um, a more justified response because certainly treasurers uh, want to and need to leave themselves some flexibility for changing circumstances down the track. Prime ministers tend to be more focused on the political bottom line than the fiscal bottom line, and need to shut down things when they do become problematic. That one on the family home became problematic, uh, and he had to act. But on other fronts, I don't know. I I'm, I'm perhaps a bit bit more forgiving than many in in um, being willing to allow a bit yeah. more flexibility around. I things.
1: agree because I think that we have a, a massive structural issue with our budget. We have big pressures: NDIS, health. Uh, Medicare in crisis, there are serious things going on in our country and we have to have honest debates. Hmm. Can I say, that It comes with risk.
0: It comes with risk. Of course it does. uh, Leaving that sort of flexibility. The PM
1: said to me in that interview, it's a less reported part, but I thought this was interesting, David. I'd love to hear what you think. I said to him, when he said to me, no, people aren't coming up to me saying put a tax on the family home. I said, yeah, but I bet they're coming up to you sometimes and saying if someone has a third or fourth property, should they be able to negatively Mm -hmm. gear? Because they are right? Yeah. There is a concern in the community about that.
0: Well, and stage three, there's there's plenty of concern about the stage three tax cuts being unsustainable and people are saying that to Labor politicians all the time. But how do they respond to that? Well, they're, they're sticking with um, our plans haven't changed. That, that formula, which is, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about the vomit principle before, <laughs> but that's where we're at with the stage three tax cut response from the government, right? Our plans have not changed. That leaves them flexibility too down the track. That seems to seems to work though. Um, I, I think we're, we've reached the point where people go, oh, okay, and move on to the next question. Mm. So maybe that's an example of uh, how you can successfully give yourself some wiggle room down the <laughs> track should you need to change position, but, you know, get you through the, the day-to-day media questioning.
1: Okay. Now, I always plan to raise the national accounts with you, David from the December quarter. They were released on Wednesday. We're recording this on a Thursday, as we say, and the economy grew just 0.5% over the three-month period, which was less than most economists had forecast. However, we did know that we would start to see, uh, you know, economic growth moderate. That is the whole point of interest rates going up. It's actually about dampening the economy. But the Treasurer said basically that the high mark of inflation may be behind us. He was very cautious about that. Mm. But What is this saying? I mean, interest rates are really biting now. Yeah, they are. Look, it's
0: pretty consistent, I think, this set of figures for the December quarter with what was being forecast, what's been said in in fact since then as well. I mean, these national accounts are always looking in the rearview mirror. You're looking at the previous quarter. But they do show that little bit of softening, as, as you suggest. We also had the monthly inflation read for January. The monthly read's not as reliable as the quarterly read, which comes out every three months. But that monthly read also showed in January some uh, dip in inflation from 7.8, I think it was down to 7.4. So again, it's consistent with, as you say, the hope, the desire, the fingers crossed that it peaked back in December and is now on the way down. You'd certainly hope so after all these interest rate rises. The Reserve Bank want to be absolutely sure, though, so everyone's still expecting another, at least one more interest rate rise. I think that'll be um, next week, and there might be another one after that. But look, if inflation is starting to come down, we're seeing that softening in the economy. That's good on that front. Of perhaps an end in sight to the rate rises, but the flip side means um, unemployment will probably mm-hmm. have to start, or uh, probably will start edging up uh, as well as a result.
1: Mm. Absolutely. Look, I want to change the conversation and and the mega department of David. I'm going to pick your brain on another Mm -hmm. issue, which is the voice to parliament. There were a few updates this week, incremental things, but worth noting. The Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg, the most vocal supporter of the voice within his party, has warned that the, the government has to do more to reach out to particularly liberal voters who are conservative voters, who are the. if you look at the public polling, are the lowest to support the the referendum idea, um, that was an interesting morning. And at the same time, we're getting a bit more clarity perhaps around the wording, maybe around all of this. David, where are we going to land here?
0: Well, I think the next step on this is that final wording and the final recommendation from the, the Prime Minister's or the government's referendum working group. Uh, which is imminent um, and then we'll see the legislation, uh, once ticked off by Cabinet, introduced to Parliament and that'll give us the the final wording. Now I don't think it's going to change much from the GAMA formula that the Prime Minister outlined in July, the proposed wording. Uh, I know there's been contention, we've all been talking about this in the last few weeks, around whether it's a voice to Parliament or a voice to Parliament and executive government. I suspect, you know, from, from what I'm hearing and certainly from the public comments of the Prime Minister and others, they're going to stick with voice to Parliament and executive government, despite some of the Conservative uh, concerns about this being too broad a remit, opening up too much court challenge and so on. I, I just don't see the Prime Minister and the, the Cabinet shifting uh, on this. Certainly the, the working group, the referendum working group of Indigenous Australians are very clear they want this to include executive government. So I think that'll be the next thing to look for. All of this is pretty technical debate, I think, for most Australians. They're not going to be too focused on on a lot of this. The campaign itself, I think, I know there was a launch a week or so ago. I, I feel like it's really yet to... You know, get underway, get in full swing. You, you'll see the big sporting organisations, big corporates, and so on, all rolling in behind the yes case. That should give it a boost. I just think we've got a long way to go uh, before we really can read the prospects of this um, referendum succeeding.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And my latest mail is that you're not going to hear really anything from the opposition or Peter Dutton until even potentially May about where they're going to go on this. Mm. Uh, although I think Ken Wyatt, who's the former Minister for Indigenous Australians, called this week for the Liberal Party to just embrace uh, a conscience vote, yeah? So everyone kind of advocates their own case. It's not There's no party position per se. Anyway, one to watch. We'll move to questions without notice. We'll give the
0: call to the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister. Order.
1: And I'm very excited to say that with the bells ringing, David, we've been really trying to push people to send us voice questions. Terrific. Right, just record it on your phone, you send it to us. Johnny did it. Here he is. Long,
0: long long-time listener, first-time caller here. My question is, what do you both think about governments needing to toe the line between not breaking election promises and being adaptable and changing depending on what the facts are and in different circumstances. Right now, it feels like they're defaulting to requiring an election mandate in order to do anything at all.
1: Thank you, David. Take it away. We've kind of ooh, yeah. touched on it. But... Well, we
0: have. Look, it's a great question from Johnny. And I, I know when he says both of you, he's referring to PK and Fran. And I'd, I'd love to hear Fran's thoughts on this, having you know watched politicians uh, squirm around election promises for, for so long as well. But look, from my point of view, and Johnny will probably hate this answer... It depends. It really depends on the, the the substance of the issue, the nature of the promise, uh, how emphatic or otherwise it was, uh, the case for breaking the promise and you know, whether there really is a change in circumstances, something that they could not foresee. But we know that integrity in politics has really been trashed over the years. Uh, democracies have lost support here and around the world. A lot of that does have to do with the general Uh, shrug your shoulders, perception of our politicians, they all lie. So it matters, I think, in terms of the integrity of our system to have trust in politicians. They need to keep their promises. They should not make promises lightly. They should not make them expecting to break them. But I come back to that line, it depends. Things do change. There may be, you know, a a good case for breaking a promise. And sometimes it would be crazy to stick with a promise if it's going to make our nation the poorer.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I I think... Governments have to govern, and they have to govern for the particular circumstances. And we have a really robust democracy. We have elections pretty frequently, actually, and we have compulsory voting. So we do give people the chance to vote that government out if they feel like the way that they broke a promise has not been proportionate to the new challenge, right? So there is actually a recourse democracy is the recourse, and it I think it works pretty well. I mean, the last government did get booted out, particularly in those teal seats, because people felt like they were not acting on those issues they cared about. Uh, this government, they're not there yet, but, you know, if they annoy people, they will also have political, electoral ramifications. So, um, But I do think we all, and we had that discussion before, David and I, do have to think about how we nurture good conversations rather than, uh, you know, dumbing everything down and boxing everything in we need to actually rise to the challenge of our times i think
0: yeah no that's true i mean but nor do i think should journalists give you know politicians a, a free ride we still need to ask direct questions and try to get direct answers for uh, our listeners for our mm-hmm. viewers that's important as well but just back on election promises one thing um, you know, uh, I think all politicians on all sides should stop doing is – and, and you know, some of them are more careful than others on this – is making promises about whether interest rates will be higher or lower, mm. whether electricity prices will be higher or lower. You know, some of these things – and both sides have done it over yep. the years – you know, we see it time and again. They, um, uh, they they just can't keep those sorts of promises, right? Things change. Uh, we're subject to a global economic forces. You know, there are some things they can promise, some things they can't. Uh, so, yeah, let's just bear, bear that in mind.
1: Yeah, those things are absolutely... <laughs> <laughs> Almost undeliverable. All right. Uh, keep sending your questions in, and the voicemail version is our favourite, as you can just tell. Um, I love the voice ones. You can um, send them to us directly thepartyroom at abc.net.au.
0: Email works Room at abc.net.au and follow the party room on the ABC Listen app so you never miss an episode.
1: David, thank you so much for being everything to us today. You've been such a good friend of the podcast. Love your work.
0: Love being on uh, with you, PK. Fran and PK will be back in your feeds next week. See you, David. See you, PK.